This is The 2.5, a podcast that connects innovators and helps them grow through meaningful conversations. My name is Klaus. I'm an innovation coach in Baden-Württemberg in the southwest of Germany. Today's conversation is with David Elterton, an experimenter and builder. He lives on an island near Vancouver in Canada, working in the e-bike business, delivering high-quality, custom-made e-bikes all across Canada. He's also in the progress of building his second electric boat. As he is experimenting and playing with ideas a lot, there is also many results. He shares them on open platforms and thus helps others to get ahead with their projects. This episode is a long one. David and I talk about how he started his e-bike business based on his enthusiasm for experimenting, building and for the swift way of e-bikes. We then cover the nearly all solar-powered household he lives in and get to talk about electric boats as well as his next project. In the end, we talk about sharing ideas, experiments, results and failures. Check out the 2.5 website for all the links and extras mentioned in the episode on the2.5.net. David Elderton, welcome to the 2.5. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. David, it is a Sunday morning for you. It is a Sunday evening for me. Uh, so we are uh, some time apart. Where are you located right now? Where are you staying at this moment? Uh, I, I'm uh, at my house, which is on uh, Salt Spring Island in British Columbia, Canada. Okay, I, I have opened uh, the browser. I see pictures of the place you're staying or, or of the island. I have never heard of that island before. It's pro I have been to Vancouver before. Um, so it's an island between Vancouver and Vancouver Island. Uh, and it is part of Canada, although it is sort of part geographically part, very close to the U.S. That's right. Yeah, the... the um The border is on the 49th parallel, but it takes a jog down so that it includes the southern tip of, of uh, Vancouver Island. Um, and we're just tucked in between Vancouver Island and Vancouver. So, so yes, we're, we're, this island chain is actually carries on and becomes part of uh, this, the United States in um, Puget Sound. Okay, so... In a way, that sounds like you are very remote, but actually you are not since you are, there's ferry connections to uh, the Canada mainland, to Vancouver itself. So as a, do you think you, you are on a remote place or is that something that you just don't feel and it feels kind of like a suburb of Vancouver? It's certainly not, uh, doesn't feel like a suburb of Vancouver. Um, it, we can be in Vancouver uh, in a couple of hours on the ferry. Um, but the ferry separates us. And so we don't have the kind of traffic that even, you know, even um, Vancouver Island has. Um, so it, it, it feels disconnected, but, but we're certainly not remote. Um, uh, we like that. We like the fact that we have the ferry that uh, limits the amount of traffic that comes and goes uh you know if, if if there's a if there's five cars in front of us at the four-way stop then that's traffic here right so so that's part of the reason we're here um and uh 
Yeah, there some of the islands in this chain are are would would you would consider them remote. Um, you know, there might be um, uh, twenty square miles, and and there's three hundred people living there. Uh, we we choose we chose this island because it it is serviced. Um, there's ten thousand permanent residents here. Um, it's serviced by three different ferries, and um, there's a hospital. There's uh, there's a couple of um, grocery stores that you could get anything that you know you might want, um, and uh, so you can do business here and not be too hampered. You know, the courier comes every day if 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 need be. Um, so there was other islands that we looked at when we were looking for a place to come. We came from Vancouver and, uh, the courier might come once a week. So that was hard to, you know, nice for an artist or something, but hard, hard to do business from mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And, and, and you do business. I understand that you, um, you sort of manufacture, you build, uh, you sell, you service e-bikes. As, as a business. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that changed when we moved here. I didn't come here with that business. Um, so we've built it up uh, over the past uh, eight years that we've been here. Um, and uh, yeah, it is a bit of a challenge. It costs as much to get a container from Vancouver to Salt Spring as it does, or actually more than it does to get a container from China to Vancouver. Um, and you have to, you know, f figure out where, how, how and where you're going to deal with it because the roads are narrow and that kind of thing. So um, it would certainly be easier to do business in Vancouver, uh, but, but we like it here. It sounds like a, an extra challenge that, um, that is um, in balance with uh, some, say, personal lifestyle choices that, that you made. or um, And it's not like an, a disadvantage or a big disadvantage from, from what, what it sounds like. I suppose it depends on what your goals are for the business. Um, you know, if I, if I wanted to grow the business into a multi- employee thing where I had a big warehouse full of bikes and I was distributing them. Um, this wouldn't be the place to do it. It would just be, there would be too many hurdles. Um, but, uh, if, you know, if you can keep it small and still be successful, uh, and yeah, then, then it, it, we can, we can make a go of it for sure. Um, and, As you say, we're um, choosing lifestyle over, you know, over maybe uh, the expansion of, of the business, you know, in, into a large enterprise, which it could be with these with e-bikes these days. Um, if, if you're not successful with e-bikes these days, you're you're really doing something wrong. I see them popping up all of, all around me and I, I understand what you mean. Um, and but you sort of leveraging the uh, also technology i mean the internet of gives you the possibility to uh, to sell your your bikes via uh, your online shop 
and uh, you can sort of import the bikes and and make changes, build the bikes and uh, or, or, or customize them and then ship them again. Uh, using all that uh, infrastructure that is there, you say the the courier is is coming once a day. That's perfect for you, basically. Uh, so actually, the location, the remote location, isn't that important for you at this time. That's right. We may not have been able to do this, certainly not twenty years ago. You know, um, so uh, uh, there is a lot of people on this island who who do remote work. Um, because there's not a lot of work here. If you're if you're not in the tourist business, um, and of course right now, um, being it that COVID nineteen is you know worldwide, uh, the tourist business is way down. Um, you, you basically have to bring your work with you here. So there are you know artists and artisans, of course, and there are you know people working on various internet projects or, or, or what things they can do remotely and they, they can, you know, live, live the lifestyle and still enjoy living in a little bit of paradise. David, what made you start working with e-bikes? What was your, the, your initial thought? What was your, the spark that started all that? Um, it, it was about 15, maybe 18 years ago. And it was just happenstance really. Um, We were driving past uh, a parking lot and there was a sign up that said electric vehicle show. And so we thought, oh, we, we, did, we, did, we, we had no plan to go there. We were just passing by. So we stopped in and uh, uh, there was a fellow who had e-bikes and we, you know, I jumped on an e-bike and it was just, I was, I was sold instantly. Um, and I think that's a lot of other people's experience. Uh, so from from there, uh, I converted a bike and then another bike and um, used them uh, for, for for many years, uh, and and also a trike that I still have now. Um, and then when we moved to Salt Spring about eight years ago, I was I was actually doing um, custom audio. Uh, for it, mostly residential custom audio, so home theaters and multi-rim sound systems and this kind of thing in Vancouver. Um, I've always I've always been a an audiophile and a um, I. Um, so it was it was kind of a natural thing for me to be doing, but when we moved to Salt Spring, it it just wasn't going to fly uh, here. There's just not enough to support uh, a, a viable business. Uh, there's some work, but you know it would it would have been a part-time thing, and I think I was ready for a change too. I wanted to get into the sustainability uh, area. We just started off small, uh, maybe a, a year, two years after we moved here, and started um, you know doing conversions for people and and fixing bikes, and uh, it it has just built from there. So you had some. Uh, let's put it that way, electronic and electrical basic knowledge uh, that helped you start working with the e-bikes already. Yes, and uh, no no formal training. Um, just I've always been interested. You know, one of those guys who takes apart the the radio, you know, when they're when they're 12 and uh, tries to figure out how it works. And 
you know, add some more speakers to make it sound better or something like that, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, so I'm always learning. Um, but of course, building an e-bike is, is the best way to learn. Uh, if, if somebody wants to get into electric vehicles, uh, it's a fairly low barrier, you know, to, to buy a kit and and put it on a bike and uh depending on how um ambitious you are you know you might may you might want to make it go faster or climb a hill better or you know and then you start playing with batteries and uh, you've got all the sort of major components of an ev there you've got the battery you've got the motor controller you've got the display you've got the motor you know and all the wires that connect it up and then you're good to go. But that's what everybody says. It's, it's it's easy. Everybody says that who knows about the things, right? To me, all that electronic stuff is like out there. No idea yeah. how things work. And I guess once you start to sort of um, make it to to improve everything, to optimize things, it's not just simply putting together things uh, from the shelves. That's right. Um, and uh, there, it, it sort of surprises me. Like, I, I think that the, the education system lets us down uh, because so many folks who are not really maybe too interested, they maybe have other interests, um, don't know the first thing about electricity. You know, the thing that powers their life, they don't really know very much about it. Um, but there's so many good resources, uh, you know, just to, just to click away, right? I come across recently uh, more advanced information about uh, electric bikes, um, improving efficiency, a whole series of videos, sort of more advanced technical stuff on, on, on bikes. And it's all just, on, you know, it's on YouTube. I think, I think you have to have hands-on. You know, if, if, you're, if you're theorizing and living in your brain and trying to figure out how you're going to do something, it, it only goes so far. And then you have to just, you know, connect some wires up and um, start small, do some experiments, right? Um, if you don't know how a circuit works, you know, to grab a battery and, and some wire and a light bulb and a switch and you know, and get yourself a multimeter from online, you know, for $20 and away you go, right? That's, that's the start. Did you start in your garage? Yes. And that was one of, one of the things that we looked for when we bought here was uh, some sort of facility that we, we, we didn't have to build. Um, and so the property that we bought has a 800 square foot, uh, shop slash garage um, and that's that's what i work out of i always ask that because uh, the garage is such an important place for at least for mechanical or stuff where you need to weld or, or do something with with your hands um and uh, and and there's this famous garage uh, of hp in in this in silicon valley uh which i visited and and was so so impressed by and it's that's yeah, that's that's a special aura around a garage for starting something. I think. Yes, yes, but you know, um, uh, before I had a garage, um, I had I had a a little concrete pad outside the door, and I you know I 
with build things, uh, you know, get get the, the saw out and, and a couple of planks and, and, you know, saw away and drill away and, and build something uh, just, just, just on a, a pad of concrete when, you know, so uh, if, if there's a will, there's a way really. I like that. I, I like that a lot. David, you're saying on your website that you are an e-bike believer. And uh, then I, I can see that uh, you, you built like a, a transportation trailer for your bikes for the like hauling of, of stuff back and forth to, to the ferry or to deliver uh, bikes to, to customers. Um, and you say that it's something that can change your life for the better. Um, is that something that you have experienced yourself that the bike has uh, cost you, the e-bike has cost you to leave your car, for example, and to be more outside using the bike, an e-bike? Yes. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's an enabling technology. Um, so I have a touch of asthma. So especially if it's cold outside, uh, I, can't, I can't do a big exertion. I can't climb a big hill, right? So my options uh, are, are fairly limited depending on the terrain on a bicycle. And I really was not a cyclist until I got on an e-bike. I, I cycled when I was a kid. I cycled to school every day. But, you know, once, once I got my driver's license, that was sort of tossed aside, you know. And so, so the e-bike brought cycling back in, into uh, my life. And um, I can see it with so many customers, just, you know, the, the physical disabilities that are overcome with an e-bike. And, and also, um, and not necessarily just that, it's, it's the long commute that, that just isn't really viable day to day on a regular bike because you've, you've already worked eight hours and now you have that big hill to climb. And, and, you know, it's it psychologically and physically, it's, it's too much. So overcoming that with an e-bike. And uh, I think the possibilities going forward are, you know, the electric transportation, it really is so simple to, to power something up with an electric motor. So there's, I think there's a lot of space between an e-bike and an electric car for different vehicles that suit different needs. So if you've got further to go and you need to go faster, say, you know, say if you're traveling on an e-bike, you're traveling 30 kilometers an hour. Well, maybe that's not fast enough and it takes too long. So what if you traveled 50 or 60 kilometers an hour? Well, you don't need a car for that. You can do that, you know, on, a, on maybe a, 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 something between a motorcycle and, a, and an electric bike. You, you could still pedal it. You still get some exercise. And I think that, that's another sort of really important aspect of an electric bike is, is that you're not just sitting on it. You know, you're getting some exercise. And who doesn't need a little more exercise? Uh, so, so, you know, versus an electric scooter where you, you just sit on it or... Uh, so, so, yeah, there's, there's a... 
there's a fellow here in BC that I know um, he's building a, I would say a heavy electric bike that has the potential to go faster. Um, and he's built it with a generator instead of having a, a direct connection to the pedals, which of course brings up uh, all sorts of people telling him that that's not a good idea, but um, he seems to have a good system. And uh, you know, that, that, it has a you sit back and you have a windshield and it you know it maybe weighs 100 120 pounds um, and you can easily go 60 kilometers an hour on it so a vehicle like that um, very energy efficient um, not you know a tenth of the materials of, of an electric car and you could get to work um, you know comfortably you could do it in all weather so yeah, and, and I, I suppose the the one of the main barriers to this, well, there's there's a there's a couple. One is government regulations. So you know, if you have a bike that doesn't fit into the rules for an electric bicycle, um, here we're limited to 32 kilometers an hour and 500 watts. And you know, I I know in Europe there's more than one category. Of electric bicycles so you do have the speed pedelec and i i assume you have to get a basic license for that i'm not sure um i know that it runs uh, up to 50 kilometers and yep. uh, i have some friends that have them and use them but they have a car license anyway so i'm i will have to check that Yes, uh, my impression was that you had to get some sort of basic license and insurance. You have to get um, insurance, yes. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So, so that uh, that category doesn't exist here, um, and you know, I, of course, government is always lagging behind the technology. And the other barrier is is the roads, right? If, if there is good infrastructure. Uh, if there's like a, I, I hear there's bike superhighways in Germany. You know, if you if you have somewhere where you're you're not concerned about getting plowed by by a truck, then the it really opens it up for many more people. You know, not just the guy who has the guts to drive on the road. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but anybody who's willing to get on and and enjoy the ride. It, you know, because it's so peaceful and quiet and uh, enjoyable if you're not worried about about the traffic. Mm. Yeah. Denmark is very is very famous for uh, bike super highways, let's put it that way. And they have uh, built a large network around uh, Copenhagen uh, just for bikes. And there's no cars on these streets uh, at all. And there is lots of bike traffic. I mean, lots of people. And the place I, I am, um, there's lots of bikes also. And, and for example, one of these bike highways is, is being built or pro projected at the moment and is being built uh, uh, soon. Yeah, that, that helps a lot. That's true. Uh, because... In a way, um, there's always competition for space among the vehicles on the road. Trucks basically use most of the space and and they usually can't uh, control everything around them and they can't be, uh, they can't look for everything around them. Uh, then lots of cars and then the bikes is always, 
well, it's it's a good way to do to 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 commute, but it's still it seems dangerous once in a while if if there's too many cars around. Yeah, I understand what you mean. In a rural area, you know, there's probably not the population density to to have a lot of bicycle infrastructure, especially you know if if we're sort of going from a car centered transportation culture and trans transforming into something else. You know, it's easier in in the city in Vancouver and Victoria. There's great um, cycling infrastructure that they're building out all the time, but here you're 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 on whatever shoulder there is, um, and sometimes it's not much. Uh, so it takes a bit of guts to to get on a bike. With all these experiences uh, around, also say rural roads, uh, using e-bikes on your on rural roads, did that? change the way you build the e-bikes you you equip the e-bikes i mean you, you have equipped or you have i mean you have uh, created your own brand hill eater hill eater is uh <laughs> it's a really nice name i think uh, but it, it, it's a brand that you created so does that reflect that experience reflect uh the designs and and your bikes that you deliver to customers are they special in a way in such a way Yes, it, it, uh, that's an interesting question because it 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 does reflect on where we are. Um, in the city, the thirty-two kilometer an hour limit it seems completely reasonable uh, because you're you know your your stop and go. Um, there's more traffic. There's more people on uh, you know bicycles on the same path, and they may be powered or they may not. But here, you've got a long stretch of open road uh, to get anywhere. So 32 kilometers an hour, it may seem quick enough at first if you're new to an e-bike, but quite quickly uh, with, with, as you gain some experience. So um, having, having a bike that will comfortably do, say, into the mid-40s, It, it makes all the difference. Um, you, you know, going faster than that, you start to run into uh, a lot of air resistance um, and you're starting to really use power. So you're having to spend more money on the battery, basically. Up to the mid-40s kilometers an hour um, is, is something that, our, that, that the bikes can, our, our bikes can do. We send them out with a limit, with a legal limit. And then we leave it up to people, the individual customer, whether they want to change that limit. And here, the, the enforce, there is no enforcement to speak of. So we can get away with it. Um, I, I just tell people, and of course, it may not be good for my company liability. And that's why we, we, you know, we, we do send them out with the, with the legal limiting. But I tell people to be sensible. You know, you, you, if the situation calls for riding slower, if you're in the middle of the city or in a town, um, there's other people on the road, you know, walking or whatever, you know, it's just like driving a car. You, the car has the ability to go 100 miles an hour, but um, you've got to use your common sense. Um, and if you use your common sense here at least, and the bicycle doesn't look like a motorcycle, it still looks like a bicycle, then you'll be fine. Uh, and, and that's been our experience. 
So yeah, so so our bikes are a speed Pedelec, even though we don't have a speed Pedelec category here. And uh, the other thing we've we're playing with now is uh, regen braking, uh, which hasn't been very common on e-bikes. It, it it is it has been available, uh, but not on very many bikes. And um, there's a new development in um, in a geared hub motor with regen, which is which is unusual. And uh, it's it, on, on. I find. Uh, on long stretches, especially around here, you basically, there's very few flat areas. So the regen braking, even though it doesn't give you, it's it's not like it extends the range very much, but it's a great way to slow down when you're going fast. It makes a great break. You know, you, you don't go through brake pads nearly as much as you would. You know, you've got a heavier bike that you've got to slow down. Yeah, and, and we and the other thing is we concentrate on um, hub motor bikes. We we really haven't um, done the the mid drive, which is unusual. As you get into a more premium e bike, usually you see it go over to a mid drive. But our bikes are targeted towards people who use them either for commuting or or as a car replacement. And I, I prefer the hub motor bikes uh, for, the, for the simplicity. And especially if you're putting more power through the drivetrain, you start to run into trouble with a bicycle drivetrain transferring the power through, you know, bicycle chain and cogs and derailleurs. And, you know, you're, you're wearing parts out quickly. If somebody's doing... Um, a, you know, a 40 kilometer or 60 kilometer commute every day, you're going to wear that drivetrain out quite quickly. Yeah. I, I always wondered why uh, there is the, that mid-engine or mid-motor uh, design, but I guess it's for balances. It's, it might be better balanced, the bike, but it can't do the regenerative braking, I think. That's correct, yep. By design, it can't do the regen braking. Interestingly, most most hub motor bikes don't do the regen braking either, because they use a geared motor. So um, there's a planetary gear inside the hub that runs, say, five to seven times the speed of the wheel, and um, they have a clutch, a one-way clutch. So um, if you were to utilize regen braking, you would have to always have the, uh, the gears engaged and there'll be a significant amount of drag if you're not using the motor, if you're freewheeling down a hill, right? You're, you're, you're going to be driving that motor and, and gears and you're going to feel that drag when the motor's not actuated. But we're, we're using a system from a company called Grin Technologies, which is a Vancouver company and they're, they're famous worldwide for their electric bike conversion hardware so they make a dashboard called the cycle analyst which is um, utilized worldwide by e-bike enthusiasts and even i, I noticed uh, companies that are developing e-bikes will have a cycle analyst on the on the handlebar as as they're going through the development of the bike because it's such a great tool um, so anyways um 
what Grin has come up with is a geared motor. And the thing with a geared motor is it's, it will generally be lighter weight than a direct drive hub motor. And it will be more efficient climbing hills um, because the motor is running at a more optimal speed, even if, even if you're climbing a hill relatively slowly. Uh, you know, the motor is running five to seven times the speed of the wheel as opposed to, you know, just the speed of the wheel. So it tends to be more efficient climbing hills and lighter weight. But what they've come up, so, so what they've done is locked the clutch so the motor always runs. And then they've, they're, we're introducing some power as you're freewheeling. So the drag is overcome by a small amount of power from the motor. Smart. Yeah, and, and it's not much. It's, it's usually something like between 20 and 30 watts. And it, if you consider, well, how often do you actually freewheel? You're, not, you're more than making up for that power usage as you're freewheeling by the regen you're, you're gaining back, um, you know, going down a hill or, or stopping. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a very smart system. Uh, since, they are, since Grin is located in Vancouver and, and you actually also, uh, is there lots of like interaction between, between you and them uh, for, say, experiments and, and improvements? Yeah, so uh, I've been a Grin dealer basically since I started commercially, working on e-bikes commercially. I had purchased their kits um, right from the start. Uh, because they were local, and um, I was lucky enough to to sort of catch on to what they were doing instead of just going on eBay and finding some random kit. Because what they're the, the the stuff they're producing is quality, and they back it up. So you know you you're assured that you're not buying something that's just going to break down on you. Uh, so any case, I've worked with Grin. Uh, they've actually helped me out a lot. Um, uh, uh, as as my business has grown and being very very accommodating, we they actually um, warehoused bikes for me for a certain amount of time, well they had extra warehouse space, and it, I ended up um, not carrying that on, and they needed the space, so um, it, it, it we're not doing that these days. Put it this way, they're they're they're, they're very very busy. Um, so, you know, they don't, yes, and it's great. And it's an amazing facility they have in Vancouver. Um, you know, you think of e-bike operations that are not in China as being, especially um, sort of kits and things as being a fairly small operation, but they have a very impressive facility in Vancouver with um, CNC, uh, all sorts of um A wind tunnel they even have, a, a protection facility, R&D facilities. Um, you know, last last count, I think they had 16 employees. Uh, so anyways, a very, a very impressive operation that they have in Vancouver. And um, yeah, they, they've been uh, glad to support me um, in uh, developing the new bikes. It's so important to have local um, uh, tech support and um, somebody who you can get on the phone to solve problems, that kind of thing. 
I also understand that you do that for your customers. You, you help people to find the right bike, right e-bike. Um, I understand that there's lots of consulting going on for, for them. So they, they are happy with the, with the result, with the bike that you deliver for them. But then you're also there for them when they have extra questions. And, and that's, that sort of forms a connection between you and the customers, I think. Yes. Uh, I suppose I, I, I attempt at least to treat customers the way I would want to be treated. Um, and I have the enthusiasm for the product. I, I want it to be a successful venture for them too, you know, because I, I know, I know it can be, it just, we need to find the right bike for them and we need to keep it running reliably And yeah, there's uh, working online, um, you know, it's hit and miss, right? You could buy a, an e-bike online and um, not have that backup support. Um, they're interested, you know, maybe in selling the next bike and not so interested after the bike is sold. Uh, it's not easy, of course, being at this point, a, a basically a one-man operation to keep up with, with everything. Um, but uh Yeah, it's 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 just something I, I would expect when I buy some a product, and so I try to fill that on the other side. You're Canadian. You were um, you were servicing the Canadian market. Does that make a difference? Would that that same model work also with U.S. customers, for example, or do you do more international sales also? We don't sell e-bikes um, even into the States right now just because of the cost of, of getting a bike down to the States. Um, it, it, you know, the model for online bike sales is free delivery. When it, when it costs five to $700 to, get, to ship a bike, um, that's just not a viable thing. And, and when you when you tack that price on to the purchase of a bike, then it becomes something that people think twice about, you know, maybe they can find something more local that doesn't have that extra cost. Um, so, so yes, um, for bikes, we've, we're concentrating on Canada. There's certainly the market is probably 15 times more in the States than it is here. Um, and I think, There are there are people who are doing a good job in in the United States with um, customer service and on online sales. You have to have the intention to do it. You know, you have you have to put that uh, service department in place if you're if you're you know if you're growing and you it, it it's more than a one person operation. It has to be a priority. You know, and and over the long term. The, the your your i mean just just open up facebook and go on an electric bike thread and you'll find people complaining um and that you know um what what does somebody do when they're looking for a bike they'll start doing their research they'll do a google google search they'll they'll go on the facebook and look for a bike group maybe they'll um find a, a, a an owner's um group on Facebook for the brand that they're interested in and they'll start reading. Um, and you know, it, it, uh, if your service department is not following through 
and keeping those bikes going, um, they're, they're going to know it. You know, and I, I think um, uh, there's uh, p- people are, are focused on the technical aspects or the sales aspects. Especially, you know, when you're starting out, you're thinking, well, I've got a great idea, technical, this technical idea, and I wanted, um, I'm doing um, product development and the, the customer service may just sort of get sort of forgotten about a little bit, you know, and uh, the, the companies that are really growing in the e-bike field have have somebody behind them who not is not necessarily a technical person maybe you know maybe they're um maybe they're not the the guy who started the company but the guy who started the company was smart enough to hire somebody who knows how to run a business and have a proper customer service department so so actually the the internet helps you to do your job really well it helps you to sort of get discovered uh, using your website uh, making online sales um you might be using zoom for for conversations and and uh, sales calls and stuff like that uh you're servicing as i understand canada which is a big big country from the western edge of of the country uh yep. And and I understand that that you take that service very serious. Um, but is there anything else that helps you market your bike? Say, for example, to sell it to Toronto, or don't you do that because there is no personal connection? Yeah, it, uh, I think what helps us is um, what online presence we do have. Uh, I, I could have. A, a dedicated online person, you know, just a marketing person who worked on just keeping track of of the the um, the Facebook groups, keeping uh, a good blog, you know, um, keeping up on the latest interesting stuff that's happening here, and making sure that it's available. You know, educational. Uh, if if we have to. Um, to take a, a hub motor apart and replace a planetary gear or document it and put it up on the blog. And then if somebody asks on Facebook, well, you know, I'm having trouble with my, my geared motor and how do I take this apart? You can just put a link into the blog, you know, then they're on your site and maybe they'll look at your product uh, after they've read the blog. Um, so, so that kind of thing. Uh, w- Having dealers is actually the model that we started out with when we st- when I st- first started selling e-bikes. We were selling a um, a, a U.S. brand of, of bikes, um, and they had dealers. So we we um, got a dealer network. But um, of course, the problem with that is you have to build in a dealer margin, and you're competing against companies that are selling direct. Uh, And, you know, it's a thousand dollars more for, for the same bike, basically. So there are people who will buy that to pay the thousand dollars because they know that they're getting the support of a dealer. Right. But I think the, the majority will take the discount and take their chances. <laughs> so, so that's where the, The email support um, and the you know, that kind of thing comes in. 
for an e-bike seller. Yeah. David, I understand that you you're probably you have in, inhaled or in in what's the word uh, that electrical X is very important to you. You you build e-bikes. Uh, I've seen that you build you have built an e-trailer that helps you to transport the e-bikes, which is kind of nice because that way you're using the product to transport and deliver the product. That's kind of a nice take on on, on these things. Uh, you also drive an electric car. Yep. Yeah. And um and you're thinking of building a an electric boat. Yes. Which is where where we come full circle since you're on an island and and stuff like that. And that was also the the place where I I got to I was made of aware of 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 your work um in a in a Facebook group uh, where you 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 uh you spread the idea of to use that Nissan Leaf uh, drivetrain battery and whatever technology that's there uh, simply to put it in a boat. And I thought that was a great idea because it seemed so simple. But before we start to, to uh, talk about that is, are you planning to sort of get rid of your Nissan Leaf uh, and sacrificing it for the boat and thus not having another car? Or what's the plan here? Uh, no. Um, Uh, a wrecked car so um i've it, it's a great source uh and and going forward um as electric cars become more and more common there's you know there's always going to be the wrecks right so a fantastic source of batteries motors and, and all the other little bits and pieces that go into uh any electric vehicle so uh, Tesla um, Tesla modules are the go-to battery. So so when you when you buy a Tesla Model S, you're you're getting say a 70 or 80 kilowatt hour, 100 kilowatt hour battery, um, but it breaks down into 16 modules, um, each of them about 24 volts and about 60 pounds. Um, so they are um, manageable by a home builder and they're the most energy dense battery that you can that you can buy and you know getting it out of a wrecked car with maybe 50,000 kilometers on it, it you, you just can't buy a new battery of that quality um, for anywhere near the price you can um, about, about 12 to 1500 US will buy you a five kilowatt hour uh, I think they're about 60 pounds With with the ports for liquid cooling built in, the highest quality. Um, each each few, each cell in the battery. I think there's 330 186.50 cells in, built in. Um, each cell is individually fused. Um, the manufacturing quality is, you know, the highest quality. And for $1,500, you you know, you're getting one of these, so you can stack them in parallel or or series, whatever you need. To get the voltage you want so so yeah um that uh, it's it's really exciting to to have that those high quality mass produce items that are available uh on you know from from a wrecker or from somebody who's parting the car out and, and, and selling it on ebay the goal here at the, the household here is to get off gasoline altogether um so 
we have all sorts of electric things we have uh uh, we're, we're not quite there. Our weed eater, we still have a weed eater that came with the house and it, you know, a heavy duty weed eater and it is, uh, uh, gasoline. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've gone, uh, the lawnmower, uh, I, I converted a wheelbarrow. Um, so we have an electric wheelbarrow, uh, 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 uh we have a chipper because we live, we live in the woods here. So um, we need to be able to handle uh, fallen trees and, and this kind of thing. So I recently um, put a, a seven and a half horsepower, 220 volt motor on a chipper um, that I got from, from some guy who um, was selling it because he'd seized the, uh, the engine on it. Uh, so now we can chip without, uh, without using fossil fuels. And actually, I did a boat uh, about seven years ago. Uh, I, I built a boat from my sister who lives on a um, water access only uh, property north of Vancouver. Um, so, yeah, everything's electric. And of course, we have solar here. Um, so, we, you know, I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm so excited about it. And I tell everybody who I can that we don't buy gasoline anymore. So we don't have a, a you know, gas bill. Um, we make our own power with solar. So our electricity bill is about $50 a year, um, plus a connection charge, which is about $14 a month. Um, so all the power for the car and f to run the household and all the other electric things comes from the sun. Of course, in the winter, uh, we don't make enough because, you know, we're, we're in a sort of a, a, a more northern and cloudy area. It rains a lot here in the winter, but we make up for that in the summer. So we make a surplus in the summer. Um, yeah, so it's it just, and, and for the price of renovating your kitchen, you know, you're putting solar on your roof and, uh, you know, you're making power for 30 years, at least. Uh, it seems like such a no-brainer. And it also seems such, such a no-brainer to use a car rack and get all the bits and pieces out there and sort of, and you don't have to be the real electrical genius anymore because everything is already in place and interconnected. Uh, and, and put that in the boat, for example, or in, maybe in some other vehicle, uh, That's right. It, whether it be like a classic car um, that's becoming more and more popular to, you know, take your old MG or your Volkswagen bug or, or whatever, what have you, and turn it into an electric car using those pieces. But it, it isn't as uh, easy as it would first seem <laughs> because, because the cars now are completely computerized, right? Um, they work, they work on a network. So everything in the car is connected to that network, even the headlights, the airbags, the seat belts, everything, and everything has to be right for the, for the motor to start. Right? Okay. So you have to have a lot of knowledge about that car and about that system. And you basically have to fake everything of, if you want to put that in a boat. Yes. And, um, 
I'm doing some research on it. Um, I have found there are people now who, and and this is not something that that I would get into. I'm just not a computer programmer um, or or like an electronics technician. But you can now buy a little black box that plugs into the inverter uh, of a Nissan Leaf. The inverter drives the motor. And that box will talk to the Nissan inverter and tell it to start up. And you connect a throttle to that box. You connect an on-off switch. You connect, um, you know, anything you need. What do you need on a boat? You need you need to be able to turn it on. You need to be able to put the motor in forward and reverse, and to control the speed. So all of those interfaces are connected to this little black box. And then the little black box has a the program in it that will interface with the Nissan, what Nissan, um, uh, the inverter is expecting to hear to, in order to start the motor and run the motor properly. So um, then you don't have to worry about whether the airbag sensor is detecting an airbag or, 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 or any of that. That can all be dispensed with. Um, and I think that's the best solution for somebody who is, you know, not a computer genius. Um, I mean, still the easiest way is to buy a package from a, a vendor of, of EV parts. Um, you know, somebody who sells electric car conversions can sell you a package of a motor, a, an inverter, um, and a throttle, and all it all just plugs together, right? But I think um, just in the last couple of years, we're starting to see these interfaces come. And um, so now we're starting to see Tesla interfaces as well. Um, and it, it's, not, it's, it's a very difficult challenge because you're not getting any help from the car company. You have to basically backward engineer their system and figure out how to talk to it. Up till now, it's been, okay, well, we'll use their motor but we'll have to build an inverter um, to run their motor because we can't figure out how to make their inverter work without it being in the car and you know being an integrated system. Especially when you when you consider a Tesla and how it's just um, so automated and you know everything is tied together um, through the through the touchscreen. Uh, and of course, you know it only takes one sensor to detect that something's not right and the whole system will not work right mm -hmm. so it would be great to have some sort of open source style um interfaces manuals um descriptions of of, of the workings of these electronics that help you to use the parts in another scenario yeah yeah and it's it, it's happening um it's happening and you know um Businesses are being created around uh, all these things, and the, the trick is to search them out. Right? Go, just start googling, and and uh, the danger is that you you buy a, a system like you, you know you you purchase a wrecked Chevy Bolt, say, because it's got a 64 kilowatt hour battery in it, right? So it seems like an appealing thing, but is is there a way to make that work without personally backwards engineering a Chevy Bolt, right? So um, 
I'm sure that somebody is going to some some guy who who maybe worked for Chevy at some point or 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 just has the um, in-depth knowledge is going to make that box is going to make that interface that we can hook a simple throttle up to and make it work. Um, that's not something I want to do. So the trick is to um, to find that before you commit yourself mm-hmm. um, to to a certain system. So right now for you, it's rather, let's say, a one-off project, a hobby type of project. And it's not like five to 10 years ago when you started to look into converting bikes to e-bikes as a new business opportunity for you. I mean, you could do as a business converting boats or building boats uh, with electric uh, drivetrains. Yes, completely. And um, there are, it, it's, it's so great to see when you start researching electric boats that there are many, many new startups that are coming to market, you know, this year, next year, um, announcing new products, um, you know, mo- whether it be a complete boat or, or, or an outboard motor, um, uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing, uh, how much is going on. So yeah, um, I would love to, uh, I, I could start up five new businesses, right? I could, um, every time I use the electric wheelbarrow, I think, well, this is so great, you know, uh, Uh, why doesn't everybody have who, who who uses a wheelbarrow, you know, or carts around firewood or something? Have have this thing to you know to take the load off. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's just it's just it's a for me. Um, this boat will go into service at my sister's place, so they have a community. Like I said, it's just it, it's just north of Vancouver, and it's water access only. And there was quite collection of of homes all along the water um and you know they they live almost like it's uh, they're in the wilderness except that a 20 minute boat ride and they're in vancouver and they do have electricity they do have electricity yes they're they're on the grid but there's no road and really that's not such a factor if they're leaving the boat at a marina because they could be charging at the marina if they didn't have electricity At, at home of course it, it does help to have power where you're storing the boat but in any case uh, um, and i see these 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 people some of them have kids and they're taking the kids into school in the morning going back home and, and then going back out in the you know in the afternoon to pick the kids up okay that's 40 dollars worth of gas each and every day and and the wear and tear on an internal combustion you know a uh, 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 a $12,000 outboard engine uh, on your, on your 18 or 20 foot speedboat um, doesn't last all that long when you're using it every day. You may have a five year life on that versus an electric drivetrain, which is going to last forever, uh, forever. Yeah. You, you may have to replace, you know, seals uh, and that kind of thing, but yeah. So, I think if if somebody saw one of those those people up there saw somebody using this an electric speedboat that can make the round trip in just the same time as as the boat that they're using and it costs instead of $40 it costs $3 or $2 um you know and it's not polluting the the lovely uh area that they're living in 
if they, you know, if they don't, they don't realize because they're not focused on this. They're, they're focused on the kids and they're focused on their jobs and stuff. So um, people need to see it, see it working. Um, so, so that's, that's my idea. It may take some time <laughs> uh, because it's not like I have, you know, I'm not retired, um, but uh, th that's what the research is happening. And uh, hopefully we'll, at some point we'll get that into service and people will see it and say, well, where can I get one of those? Mm -hmm. Instead of just going down to the local Marine store, you know, and buying what they have there and they, then they'll go down and say, well, why don't you have, you know, I saw this boat. It, it costs a fraction to run much more reliable. Um, it's quieter. You know, why can't I buy that here at, at the Marine store? Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, I see what you mean. And I also see, I, I have a, I'm watching closely uh, that electric boat market. I, I, I met many, uh, um, companies on Interboat uh, in Düsseldorf uh, in uh, excuse me at Boat uh, we have Interboat at Lake Constance where, where I'm located um, and we also had uh, Michael Goddard of Domani Yards uh, on the show some episodes ago who is building a new Uh, electric chase boat they are calling it which is a very very elegant boat but what they do is they do everything from scratch it's a perfect boat it's very elegant uh, it's yes. very efficient and they have experts for all of these things and they, yeah. they pride themselves to to make these this boat as efficient as possible And then you have to look into everything. You just can't use anything that you convert from something else or use yeah. a, an existing hull. They built the whole boat from scratch. But yeah. do you have any idea of how your boat looks like? Do you have like a, a donor boat that you envision to use? Yes. Yeah, so the typical commuter boat in that area would be like, say, eight, 18 to maybe a maximum of 22 feet. And Uh, the, the people who who live up there, some of them have money, but a lot of them don't. They're making a lifestyle choice, um, so these aren't fancy boats. There, you can, I mean, you you walk through the marina and look at them, and you they're 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 a, a vehicle that is used and abused, and and it's weather you know weathered all year round, and, and so so there there are a few you know hundred thousand dollar aluminum boats uh, up there um, that people use to commute but most of them are you know uh, just a fiberglass speedboat so so the goal with this boat is is to be able to use a boat that a, a normal person could afford you know you could you could buy a, a, a used speedboat for maybe five or seven or eight thousand dollars maybe it has a, a Uh, the engine seized or something like that. Um, so you're getting a good deal on it or, or maybe you're, you're buying one with an outboard and then you're reselling the outboard uh, to, to pay, you know, help pay for the project. Right. So um, be, because we can buy this uh, EV battery that has maybe I'm my target is 40 to 60 kilowatt hours. Uh, we've, we, we, the efficiency is not as important on a commuter with that amount of power because the boat is only making 
a half hour round trip. It's not like we have to try to make it work all day. Um, they're not going out f fishing and, you know, they're going offshore or something. It's, it, the boat is very seldom used for anything but this half hour round trip. Uh, I mean, and of course, if you're puttering around in the boat on a Sunday, you can go all day if you're not planning. Right, that's the yes. thing with a with, with a boat. Um, if you're going three or four knots, you know it takes very little power. Uh, so, so that's not really an issue as long as people understand um, that they they that they work within the limits. So the use case for this is is like I say, it's, it has a fairly um, well defined use case. Uh, so we know. That, that, that this trip is, is going to be half an hour. Uh, and so we can hopefully design for an hour's worth of endurance. And any more than that is a bonus. So, you know, they've got enough that if they need to turn around and go back, they can do that. Mm, and safety. Um, and yeah, some safety margin. So it, that helps. And now if some, you know, there's maybe a, another pleasure boat um, the use case is not as well defined, and then uh, there would be more worry about. And I would generally say to people, if you're not in such a hurry, then it's a lot easier, right? If if you're willing to go maximum of maybe ten knots, mm. you know, and then just enjoy the ride, uh, enjoy the journey then um, it's a lot easier. Um, of course, we do, we do have to worry about the hull, um, the shape of the hull. If it's a, if it's a planing hull, then it's not going to be efficient unless yeah. you're planing, right? I've actually seen people take that planing hull and add an extension off the, off the bow, uh, sorry, the stern, to, to, um, to make it more efficient as a, as a displacement hull. Mm -hmm. um, but but you know, getting a, a a sailboat might be a a better start for a boat like that. If you take a look at the styles of boat, you got to go back and like to the 1800s when you saw these long narrow boats, and because they were limited in the amount of power that the engine would put out, um, that was that was the type of boat to put a you know to put a 10 horsepower engine on, and, and be able to cruise all day you know, a long, narrow displacement boat. And you, of course, you just don't see them these days, right? Because we're used to putting 120 or, or 200 horsepower on the back of the boat and away you go. 300, <laughs> three times 300. Yeah, 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 three times 300. Yeah, yeah, that's the new thing. Multiple outboard motors on the back, right? Burning through those fossils. Costing yeah. a lot of money and burning a lot yeah. of fuel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but you said it's, a, it's like a project, I'd call it R&D. Uh, and it sounds like you have uh, made already in that uh, such a progress uh, in, in your plans that there might be a, a new business for you uh, at some point. Oh, hmm. I, supp I suppose, uh, I suppose if it, I would almost want to hand it off to somebody, you know, um, it, given the amount of, of some work we've put into the e-bike business, um, you know, we can't do, I can't do both. I, I, I mean, I would like to be 
Elon Musk where I'm just sort of the brains behind the ideas and then I, you know, some other engineer uh, builds the, the idea, right? But I would be happy to, to, to have somebody see this boat and go, wow, you know, I, I could build this boat for less than $20,000. So basically the same cost as, as any other boat and have all of these advantages and really get excited about that and take it and run with it. Mm. So you could well document the process, uh, the the layout, the, the technology, maybe sort of open source it in a way to make it yeah. accessible for others and thus uh, have a sort of build a tradition possibly or build something others can build onto. Yes. And I do, I do generally do that with, the, with the bigger projects that I do. I've seen that with the trailer, with your trailer that you're building, that you've basically given everything away, how you build it and what your thoughts were behind. Yeah, so I put that on, on the blog on hilleater.ca uh, um, and also uh, Endless Sphere. Um, so it is a, a site that um, is a, it's a do-it-yourself electric vehicle site. It's mostly e-bikes, but it does have other light electric vehicles um, And you, uh, so I've posted the trailer project on there as well as a cat trike, a, a tadpole trike that I did and the electric boat that I built seven years ago. So I documented all those in photos and, and um, put them up on Endless Sphere. And now, of course, I would probably put it on, on my blog uh, as well, just because, you know, it's not hard to do. Uh, But yeah, uh, um, because I I have the enthusiasm and I want uh, I want to you know breathe, breathe fresh air and and I want other people to uh, jump on the bandwagon. So and there's so many people uh, when you know when you're on Facebook or something who want to do this stuff, but they don't know really where to start. So super happy to 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 help out. Uh, And um, if the, that's an interesting thing, um, when I think of Endless Sphere, um, to Justin from Green Technologies actually bought the website, the Endless Sphere website, because it, it had run into trouble with financially at some point, uh, so quite a few, few years ago. And there was either going to have to be a change where they were going to have to commercialize it and put ads on it, Or they were, it was going to die, um, and he actually bought the website and he he um, rescued it basically. Um, and he is one of the he, he actually uses it almost like an R and D resource. So he'll post a new product, uh, and he'll get people who are enthusiasts who want to beta test, and he'll send them out, say a new motor controller. And they'll give him feedback. And all of this is happening on the Endless Sphere blog. So you're seeing that product development in, in real time. Um, and you're learning about it. And people are contributing. They're, they're coming back with feedback. So it, it's just such a great resource. And, you know, you're, you're learning. If, you're just, if, you're, if all you're doing is reading it, you're, you're learning about this stuff. I, I really like that. I haven't heard of it, but I will do some research and put the link uh, in the show's description. And it sounds like a very um, not easy to do um, idea for a small or mid-sized company to uh, do product development, to 
work together with your customers to make it easier for people to understand what you're doing uh, and also easier for you to understand what customers actually care for and and have a build a very close relationship with customers and or or, or, or a network of partner de partners slash developers I, I really like that it's a great example yeah and, and it's um, of course companies want to keep projects secret right and I and I think um, there there is certainly something to be said for that especially as as the the initial development is happening so the the um the sort of concept and the initial engineering and sourcing and i think grin does do that they don't like announce oh we're going to design this and then try to get feedback on it or something they'll 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 get to a certain point where they they've they're ready for beta testing and then they'll announce it so you know you you're not sort of giving it all away to the competition but then they're getting all that free help from all the people who are so enthusiastic about trying that new motor controller and they'll they'll install it on their bikes and then they'll come back well you know the it's not it's it's not doing this or it's not doing that or could you add you know a software feature or something like that so yeah, and, and their whole ethos at, at Grin is open source because bicycles are sort of open source when you think of it. When, when you're looking at um, buying a mountain bike from 1982, you can still get a new spindle for it or sprocket or, or, or whatever you need for that bike. And you may upgrade the brakes. You know, you may have center pole brakes and you want to upgrade the brakes on it so you can do that so by a bicycle is like an open source you know there are certainly bikes that um that are sort of have proprietary things on it but for the most part you know you can you can get a wheel for your bike from any number of places right and that i'll just carry on with grin um that is their ethos is that their system, if you buy a battery from them, um, you don't have to buy the controller from them also, or vice versa. So it's it's open source in that way. And uh, and I like that idea too. You're, you're not tied into a certain manufacturer. And we carry that on to, like, uh, to the Hill Eater bikes, not all the Hill Eater bikes, because it's it's not easy to do. It's actually more expensive to do initially. But our, our special edition bikes are, because we use the Grin hardware, um, it's more of an open source thing that you could, if, if you're more advanced, if you want to tinker with things, that you could change things in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I think it's a great idea um, not being locked in. Mm -hmm. It's like a future-proof thing. Um, yes, being able to to change things in the future, adding new technology pieces to it. Yeah, I'm I'm also always fascinating, fascinated around the fact that there's so many standards in bikes um, around the world. Uh, I don't know how that happened. Uh, might have been by accident or by by whatever efficiency measures that that bike producers wanted to have, 
but that is a, is very helpful. I, I used to have a very old bike and I was able to get all sorts of parts even 20, 30 years later. So that was perfect. I, yeah. I really loved that, yes. And there is some danger of that going away. I think if, if the bicycle were invented now, mm -hmm. I don't know if that would happen. Um, everybody would go off on their own tangent, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, luckily it, it, it's, it is still possible. Uh, you know, when you see sort of really specialized electronic systems on bikes, you start to wonder about, the, you know, the long-term viability of that and, and whether that bike frame that you bought that has uh, a custom frame because it has to fit a certain motor manufacturer's motor whether that will be viable uh, you know like the like the the old bike that you have was mm -hmm. in 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 20 or 30 years mm -hmm. but but speaking of inventing the bike um the place where i'm right now is the place where a Freiherr von Dreis has invented some sort of bicycle very very early it was not a bicycle with um With, uh, I don't know the name of, you, you could sort of not pedal, but you had to sit on it and, and, and sort of push it with your, with your feet. Uh, so it was not, uh, the way we have bicycles today, but, uh, it looked uh, a bit like this, the things that children used to learn how to use the bike. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was like in 1700 something. And it's kind of an, an important part of the history of the place also. Although no, I, I've just learned that a real bicycle, the modern bicycle, was invented in Scotland a few years earlier. Okay, yes. The I think they call it the safety bicycle. I have no idea. <laughs> okay, because, because, because there was the penny farthing, right? The one before they came up with the idea of, of driving the wheel with a chain, there was the you know, um, um, driving the, the wheel directly with the pedals. And of course, the bigger the wheel was, the faster you could go. Mm -hmm. uh, so the wheel, the, the driven wheel got bigger and bigger uh, until you yeah. had to climb, you know, climb up the, the back of it. Now I know what you mean. No, I'm, I'm talking about something that actually looks like a bike, but yeah. it's sort of you sit on a saddle and then you you with your feet you sort of uh, you waddle and that yeah. way you propel the bike and it has uh, equal size uh, tires and stuff like that. Right, and it wooden wheels probably. Wooden wheels certainly. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was pre Dunlop. Pre Dunlop. Yes, uh, yes, a long time ago. Wow. Also, uh, you, you, you talked about your electric wheelbarrow. I had to think of um, James Dyson, the, 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 the Englishman that invented that Dyson vacuum cleaner and uh, his company is developing all sorts of things right now. Even a yes. car that uh, I think they have uh, uh, discontinued now. But he, in, in, a, in a podcast interview, I, I, uh, he talks about uh, inventing a wheelbarrow as one of his very first projects, uh, commercial projects. And the way he built it was, I think he didn't use, a, I didn't see a picture yet. He didn't use a wheel, but some sort of ball. So you could maneuver the wheelbarrow uh, very easily in a small garden also. Yes. But commercially, it was not helpful for him. So you better stick to the e-bikes and don't develop the electric wheelbarrow. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, you, you, there are electric wheelbarrows. You, you can buy, you can buy them. Somebody else has done it. It's just, it's just, they don't seem very common. 
and I suspect it's because it would be a $700 wheelbarrow. <laughs> and you don't think there's a market for that? <laughs> well, yeah, there's a small market. Um, one, of the, one of the exciting things, so, so in this wheelbarrow in particular, um, I used the battery from my electric chainsaw. So uh, I bought a 36-volt a, a electric chainsaw that has a removable battery. Um, so I, I, all I needed to do was make a, make a socket for it in the wheelbarrow. Um, and then you're, you know, um, reducing your investment by, uh, uh, probably half because the battery is a, a large portion of the expense, right? Um, so uh, having uh, batteries that you can use, uh, across different platforms is, is an exciting thing. Um, and it's actually something I'm, toying with with the electric bikes um so um using a dc to dc converter uh and taking whatever battery you may have and um uh converting the voltage to uh something that the e-bike uses um to supplement whatever you have on the bike already so um you know maybe you want to do a longer trip and uh, um these days, you know, there's all these things that are using battery, maybe even um, a larger uh, power tool battery from a drill or something like that, um, you know, could be could be plugged into your bike and give you an extra 20 kilometers of range. Mm -hmm. I, I know um, about like Stiel or Bosch uh, garden power tools and yeah. uh, they develop their system and it fits in every power tool they have they might have a pro series and a, and a, like a, a home series uh, type of thing but that's very uh, successful they're very well-made batteries uh, there's like yep. an infrastructure around uh, there's yep. parts and uh, and i think you could go even that far that you don't use the batteries that come with the e-bike but you just use these batteries if you add like like i think bosch has commercial uh lawnmowers uh, where they add four of these batteries at the same time yeah not sure right yeah. now but uh but i know from steel that they are building from for like for lawnmowers for for power tools for chainsaws for weed whackers and stuff like that uh they yeah. have a system in in place and yeah uh, okay I, i think that's very smart yeah um you um, have to be careful i have killed a steel battery on my wheelbarrow um by leaving it on uh okay Uh, so they do not have a battery management system built into the battery. It's built oh, it's into in the, the tool. Okay. So the potential is there to drain the battery. And of course, if you drain a, a lithium battery completely, that's, that's it. That's the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so in this interface, you have to build in a, a, a just even a simple protection system that, yeah. um, that cuts the cuts the power at a certain voltage you know steel is not far away from where i am so maybe we can connect you with them and and help you with the development of your electric uh bike uh conversion kit whatever uh getting rid of the normal batteries uh, and thus be more flexible also i think if you have something yeah. that you uh, some tools or some some parts that you can buy basically of every hardware store um That I mean, the battery is just crazy expensive with electric bikes. Oftentimes, that's right. Yeah, and of course, it, it, I mean, it has to be a relatively large battery 
Yes. Um, I'm, I would it's sort of the minimum viable size would be a, uh, about 500 watt hours, which is, you know, for a lithium battery, a portable lithium battery, that's pretty big. I'm, I'm thinking that a steel chainsaw would have maybe a 200 watt hour battery would be a fairly large battery for a power tool. So, so using multiple batteries. And of course, with a bicycle, it's important that the, you're not throwing the balance off. So, you know, not just mounting them on the rear carrier or something. And it, it, it seems to me like it would be, it makes sense as an auxiliary or a range extender, but maybe not necessarily the, the primary battery. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing you got to think about is how much drain um, is the battery engineered for? Um, so okay. if you if you plugged in one power to a battery into an electric bike, you're most likely overtaxing the battery. Um, so you know if if you were buying a Bosch bike, that would be they'd they'd have thought of that and they they would have engineered you know so that you you would have to plug two batteries minimum to make it work or something like that, mm. right? Um, so if you're if you're doing it yourself, um, the idea I have, uh, which I've experimented with, is the DC to DC converter, and it's it's current limited, so um, you're not draining the battery. You're not actually using the battery to drive the bike. You're using the the auxiliary battery to charge the battery that's on the bike already, mm-hmm. and you're you're you have a constant drain on that auxiliary battery and whatever that drain is, 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 is a, it's a comfortable drain for that battery. So to, to sort of maximize the amount of watt hours you're getting out of a battery, if you lessen uh, the drain on it, so you're not taking a bunch of power out all at once, you're taking it out more slowly, you'll, you'll get more power in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's some inefficiency, um, in the DC to DC process, you're going to lose some power. But um, so, so what I experimented with was um, say drawing only a hundred watts out of the auxiliary battery. Um, and as you're riding, it's, it's contributing that hundred watts and maybe you're using 500 watts while, while the motor is on, on the battery, but then you stop, uh, you know, you, you're coasting or you stop at a light. Well, all that time, now, now the battery is recharging your battery. Um, so uh, given that you're maybe you're going on a longer ride, you can sort of say, okay, well, I'm going on a, a six-hour ride um, and I've got a 600-watt-hour battery. Well, if I, ch- if I discharge it at 100 watts, it's going to be discharging that whole ride. It's going to be slowly contributing power to to the to the main battery Um, and it works works quite well that way you've got a lot of flexibility whether it's a small battery then you're not drawing you you only draw 25 watts out of it yeah there's lots of flexibility there and i i think it's it's a novel concept i'm not sure yeah we'll see we'll we'll see if it actually plays out into something that's commercially viable david we have talked about a lot of tech stuff and i'm i hope not but some people might have 
turned away, turned off the yeah. listening to the podcast because we were talking <laughs> about kilowatt hours and whatever resistance and whatever stuff yeah, I yeah. don't really, really understand myself. Um, although my father, he's very, he, he has spent his life, his working life with, with these things. Um, and uh, I did that with uh, RC cars and boats and stuff like that. So uh, I do have some knowledge, but it's, it's special. And that's why there's people such as you uh, that help everybody else, the rest of us, to sort right. of get to where we want to be yep. um, technically and finding the right stuff, the right equipment, the right combinations. But behind all of that is behind the, the, what we want to buy, what we're looking for, or for you, why you started your business is, is, a, is your motivation, but we have talked about that also. But I, I wanted to, to close our conversation with a, a, a bit about that, that motivation. And because I, I've read some, some thoughts of yours about how man is treating nature. And I think uh, that, that was probably also very, very important for your decision to go solar, uh, buy electric vehicles, uh, treat, build a business around e-bikes, um, start using uh, electric drivetrains in boats and stuff like that. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I wasn't always like that. Um, there was a point uh, where it, it, it sort of hit me. Um, and it was around the time that I started to get into e-bikes. Um, I mean, I, when I was in my 20s um, or, or even at high school, I was building a hot rod car, you know, not really thinking about how much gasoline I was putting into it and, and all that kind of thing. It just, I, and it, interestingly enough, living on this Island, I, I've met so many people and young people now who have this awareness right away, even in, in grade school, they have this awareness of, of um, protecting the environment. And, you know, I've always appreciated the, the natural world and, you know, sort of explored it. I mean, BC is just a, a nature lover's paradise, right? Um, living in Vancouver, you can, you, you can be snowshoeing on the mountain from your house in 45 minutes and, and, and then, you know, get, get on a boat and, and go kayaking the same day, you know? So, yeah, I think maybe... Um, As it's become more of an issue over time, I've also sort of tuned into it and become more and more aware of it. Um, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say there is um, there's hope for people who are not, you know, who are still flying to, to, you know, to their vacation and not really thinking about what what's behind that flight, right? They can, you can still sort of, realize that maybe that's not the best idea maybe i should uh try something different so so yeah and, and i guess i've just become more more focused on it as time goes by um and made more decisions in my life and and trying to help other people and you know being in the e-bike industry it's so gratifying to see somebody i'm selling a bike to somebody because they are going to leave their car at home for their commute now, right? And they want to do that for any number of reasons. Um, 
often there's you know some physical exercise there's um monetary and, and there's they realize what's going on with you know we're we're in a climate emergency right yeah i don't know if i answered your question but fully but uh, that's that's i get off on tangents <laughs> <laughs> well david thank you very much for taking the time uh, for this conversation on the 2.5 podcast thank you very much and good luck with all these projects that you're working on and i'm really looking forward to see the new electrical boat uh, evolving that you're building well thank you hopefully you have some patience <laughs> but yeah it's it's been great great to share That was my conversation with David Elterton. Check out the 2.5 website for all the links, a transcript and the extras mentioned in the episode at the2.5.net. I have included the link in the show notes. This episode was recorded on August 2nd, 2020. I am very grateful to David for taking the time for this conversation in this difficult period. Thank you also to music producer Imix for creating the music of this show. Creating this podcast is also an adventure for me. It is a labor of love, lots of work and great fun. Hosting and producing the podcast is broadening my own horizon and helps me to grow personally. I hope it helps you too. If you enjoy listening to these episodes, please show your support. Subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app and rate the show on podchaser.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you help others to discover the show. And while you're at it, please follow the podcast on social media and tell your friends. You find the links on the show's website at the2.5.net. My name is Klaus. The podcast is hosted in Baden-Württemberg in the southwest of Germany. Thank you for listening to the 2.5 Conversations Connecting Innovators. <laughs>